I'd, uh, open our eyes so we can see whatever your spirit wants us to see when we look into your word, the Bible, this morning. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. And help us to have the courage and the grace and the power from you to do what you want us to do so we can be the kind of people that we know you've designed us to be and that is full of life, energy, and joy that comes solely from you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. August 23rd, 1991, about 20 years ago. How many people were not born by that time, just out of curiosity? All right, handful, all right. I was talking to a, uh, it was a Friday night. Uh, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine on the telephone, and it actually had a cord on the phone. If you don't know what that is, cord on the phone. So I had to stay close to the phone that was attached to the wall in my apartment, so I couldn't wander. All right, anyway. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine, and uh, we had a four-and-a-half-hour conversation about a variety of things. Four-and-a-half-hour, like starting at 11.30 p.m., all right? One of which, the most memorable to me of which, was why, why should we pray? Like, this person said, I haven't really prayed in at least three weeks. Because I, I wonder if it's just a lot of psychobabble. Is it just something, does God really do something in response to when we pray? And, oh, <clears throat> by the way, I forgot to mention this was my wife. So just, uh, no, actually we were dating. It's time. I didn't forget to mention. I just wanted to make that. One of the things I love about my wife is she's learned to help me ask really hard questions. We were dating. We had not been in communication for a while, uh, like a while, like four, four months. And I think I even burned all the cards she'd given me because of the relationship was over. So, ooh, ouch, okay. Anyway, but she called, and we hadn't talked for months, and all of a sudden we're starting talking about, and she's like, I just don't know if prayer really does anything, and if we, does God really do something in response to prayer? Is it just some kind of a psychological self-serving thing so we feel better? And, and as the, and I, I reread in my journal just this week, because I, I don't journal every day, but this particular phone call I did, and I wrote in my journal, I feel embarrassed to say this almost. I'm not sure if she's ready for me because I'm not sure where she is spiritually. Um, I didn't tell her that at the time. But I hung up the phone, and I knew she was the one. Even though I thought, because I thought, I, I want to be around people who help me ask hard questions and don't assume that the pat answers we're given are all, about Christianity are always the best answers. So we talked for four and a half hours about other things, of course, too, but... You know, why do we pray? And does prayer do anything? When some of you, my guess is every one of us has prayed, whether it's verbally or even in some kind of a hope-wish way, for something in the last week, two weeks, month, or whatever, that either has, and in many cases has not come about in the way in which you wanted it to happen. You know, so what, we, what ends up happening, we get these kind of thoughts about, about what happens with prayer. All right, here's a couple things that could happen. God is sometimes available, but only after you've done your best first. All right, or God is lucky to have circumstances support his program at given points. Like, prayer doesn't really change a whole lot. God is sitting up in heaven knowing things which he may or may not tell someone. God is hopefully tuned in when we push the panic button. God stands with a heavenly stopwatch waiting for a mystery moment when he'll spring some nifty surprise on us. Um, God drops disasters and tragedy on whomever he wills because he knows that's better for you. Or God can't do any more about circumstances than you can, but he can sure help you feel better about them. Now, most of us would never admit to, maybe we would, admit to saying, well, I kind of wonder if that's, that's how I feel about prayer, and that's why maybe some of us don't 
pray as much as we want to or think we should and we feel guilty because we're just not sure what happens. I mean, if God is God, he does what he wants to do, then what, what do my words matter? And does God really do anything in response to me asking him anything? And let's be honest, if, if you're honest, we've all asked that question. Does my words to God actually change anything in the course of history? All right. We're going to answer that question in the next 30 minutes. Just kidding. Uh, we are going to address that, though, because I want to talk about that. What we've been doing, let's look at this now. We've been talking about the Gospel of John. This is the Thursday night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, and then the next day is in the crucifixion, a few days later the resurrection. But in five chapters, Jesus is giving kind of his last talk before his, the next phase of his reality with them, a resurrected Christ, but his last challenge to them about this is what it's going to take for you to live life well and to finish out the mission that the Father's given me, and that is to bring life and wholeness to people. So we've been looking at a number of different things Jesus said and how the disciples must have been hearing that. Because again, what we said was, it was they were doing the Passover meal, which was like a religious celebration, celebrating what God had done in Egypt. So there were 13 of them. Jesus and 12 others were sitting around a table, oblong, rectangular table, sitting on the floor. They didn't have chairs. They kind of leaned on their left side and they eat it with their hands. Kind of the last supper, kind of, uh, it was the last supper that we talked to it about, but it probably looked a little more organic like this. And, uh, and Jesus is just talking to them probably conversationally, and there's probably questions. And So today we're going to pick up, what, if you remember that what happened so far, he's washed their feet during the meal, which again, that was only something the lowest of low non-Jewish slaves did, but Jesus showed them a whole new model of leading and loving each other. He washed their feet. Judas, who was the one who betrayed him, had already left the meal. Jesus knew that's what he was leaving to do. The disciples were clueless. Jesus knew, and yet Jesus still washed Judas' feet. Keep that in mind, even though he knew what Judas was going to do. He's already, Jesus has already told Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the next 24 hours. So there's a lot of tumult going on here, and Jesus has told them, hey, if you don't, if you don't remember anything else, remember this, love one another. Love one another, all right? So we pick up now in John chapter 14 toward the end of the chapter. Um, again, this is part of Jesus' conversation around the table. Um, who knows? I don't know if the plates were still around, the forks were still around, and napkins, or who was loading the dishwasher, but this was a conversation after the meal, all right? I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Read that verse with me, 13. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. All right. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Read 14 with me. Yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. All right, next one. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father who will give you another advocate who, is ne who will never leave you. That he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. All right, keep going. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. So he had been talking about leaving. I'm going to be leaving. And they kept asking, where are you going? Where are you going? What are you leaving? So he's trying to help them understand. I'm not going to abandon you. I'll come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and that you're in me and I am in you. 
Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and I will reveal myself to each of them. All right? Stop right here. What we've done the last few weeks, we've grabbed one phrase out of what we read and kind of highlighted it. And you might guess the one phrase is this. Go to the next slide. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. All right? The word ask here means ask. You can also kind of sense of kind of beg or a strong ask. The word anything in the original language means anything. All right? You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Anything. Now, let's, let's address the in my name piece, though. Because what happens then is people will try to figure out what the right technique is for implementing this first. So we say, and I ask this in Jesus' name. You know, if I put enough emotion behind it, is that what Jesus wants? Right? I mean, you get enough of that if you watch television or maybe you've felt, well, I, I got, if I say Jesus' name with enough authority in my voice, or maybe you get on your preacher voice in Jesus' name or whatever, then does that mean Jesus is supposed to do something? Is it a code word? You know, is it kind of like Simon says? If I say in Jesus' name, does that mean that whatever I ask for, he will do? And so we've often take this passage and we try to figure out, okay, is there a formula he's getting at here? Either there's a formula or he's totally not telling the truth here. So, but we resort back to, there's got to be some way in which this happens. And here's what ends up happening. We try to figure out a technique. Well, if I say this in Jesus' name and I make sure in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, in Jesus' name, amen. But let's look at that in middle phrase here, in my name, because we were talking about seeing to the name of the Most High. And we mentioned already that when we do Your Story Matters, your name is part of your story, right? Your name is, encapsulates your story. So we could say, you can ask for anything according to my story, and I will do it. Think about it that way. So now Jesus is saying, you can ask for anything that will fit within the story that I've been painting for you. You ask for anything that will be a part of the story of life and redemption and hope and rescue and joy that I've been teaching you for about for the last three years. If you know the story well, the story of what I want to do in your life, you can ask for anything that will fit in the con. You can put anything you want into the story as long as it fits the story. See, the problem is we want to put things in the story that fits our story. We like the story of what we want our life to look like, and we're asking Jesus to, to kind of bless our script. And he's like, no, no, no. If you ask for anything according to the story, I mean story capital S here, according to the story that I have designed for life, right? Jesus said, I came to set people free. I came to set you free. I came to reclaim you from oppression and the sins that keep you kind of bound up in stupid, stupid habits. So you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. I'm going to introduce you here in a second uh, to a, uh, one of my favorite authors, E.M. Bounds. Anybody read anything by E.M. Bounds? I have no idea why in that day and age people never smile when they took pictures. I mean, if you notice that, famous people, and I actually was wondering this this morning, I wonder if 100 years from now I look back at our pictures and say, why were they smiling all the time? I don't know. But anyway, I think he was a happy person at one time in his life. 
He was a Civil War chaplain for the South, for the armies of Tennessee. Uh, but he's also a pastor. It was his primary role as a pastor. He wrote a book, uh, oh, 100 or so, 100 plus years ago, actually. He died in 1913, but in the late 1800s. wrote a book on prayer. And in that book has probably my, if not the, one of my favorite quotes on prayer. And it, uh, this week it just kind of kept hitting at me again. Here's, the, here's what he says. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, all right? We don't need, and this is easy, because it's easy to think, okay, what the church, we, need, we need a better program. We need a better method, a better technique to pray. We need a better kind of uh, formula for prayer. We need something better. And he says, we don't need that, but we need men. Now, he wrote when men in those days was understood to mean men and women, so I didn't change it because I wanted to stay true to what he wrote. What the church needs is men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men, people. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. You see, because what typically we, and I say we, churches, we people who follow Jesus, we think if we can find the right solution, the right formula, the right plan, the right program, the right method, the right songs to sing, instrumentation to use, the right whatever, if we can find the right thing, sooner or later we'll find the key to what God wants to do. And his whole statement, Ian e. Bounds, is no, what, God doesn't anoint stuff. He anoints people. Like you, or like you, or like you. He anoints people. And he anoints people who pray. He blesses people who pray, who open their hearts up to God. This may sound like a minor thing, but I think it's probably one of the most major things I've ever read on prayer. Because we, it's so easy to fall into the trap of, if we can just do X, Y, Z correct, God will surely bless the methodology we use, and therefore he will have to act because we've got really cool PowerPoint or whatever. Instead of realizing, you know what, God is looking for people who will be the kind of people he wants them to be, and then no matter what kind of lighting they have or whether they have PowerPoint or whatever, he will work through them. Now, um, so here's go to the next one here. Because here's what I want to point out there. We said this earlier. He said in the passage, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Right away, like two verses later, he says, oh, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, here's what I'm trying to, I want to show you with this. The kind of person that asks for anything in his name that he will do is the same kind of person who obeys commandments and therefore shows his love. Jesus, what Jesus is getting at is, it's the kind of person I'm looking for. He's not looking for a technique, a method. He's not looking necessarily for an all-night prayer service. Those, none of those things are bad. He's looking for people who will simply love him by being obedient to him and if you're that kind of person, you begin to live in the right story, and you, whatever you ask for, Jesus says, I'm going to do it. And again, that for us, sometimes that might sound presumptuous. Well, I can't ask Jesus for anything. He says, no, no, no. If you love me, and later on he says, and if you love me and keep my commands, you're my friend. And my, when my friends ask me to do something, I'll do it. So the question is, how do I become the kind of person 
in the first part, how do I become that kind of person that can ask for anything? And Jesus says, well, question number one is simply, are you obeying what I've told you to do? And here's the question I'm going to ask all of us, myself included. <laughs> it's not like a tall giant here. All my, all, and that is, if you want to become the kind of person who can ask Jesus anything that he will do, this is one question I want to challenge you to ask first. Are you obeying Jesus in all of your relationships now? Because he said, if you obey me, that shows how you love me. And if you obey me and you love me, then you're the kind of person who can ask anything and I'll do it. And then over here on the, on the bottom right here, I put this and I use a strong word and I'll explain why. In what relationships are you violating the command of Jesus to love one another? Because that's what he just got done saying a few moments earlier in this evening. I want you to love one another. Is it possible, and I think it is definitely possible and most likely probable, that a large part of the hindrance in our own life of prayer when we ask Jesus something he doesn't do is because we're violating this basic command of loving one another. And when I say violating, that's a strong word, but it's a strong word because Jesus meant this strongly. If I don't love others, if there's a certain person that comes to mind right now to you, and my guess is all of us can pick out somebody pretty quickly, Somebody that is difficult for you to love. All right? A Christian who is difficult for you to love. Someone maybe in this room that is difficult for you to love. Somebody in your Bible study. Somebody in your church here, church back home, whatever. If there's somebody who's difficult for you to love, are you, are you doing all you can to love them well? Because again, we're trying to figure out how do you become the kind of person that when you ask Jesus something, he'll do it. And you have to ask yourself that question first. And one of the things, I haven't pulled these si one of my signs out lately. I love my street signs. Here's my, one of my favorite ones. The word contempt, all right? Here's the sense. If, if you think of, let's say, you're, let's say the person you're thinking of is named John Jones, all right? When you think of John Jones, do you have any, even a seed of contempt in your heart? And contempt not meaning like you're going to get a gun and shoot him, but even the kind of, ugh, drives me crazy. I mean, that kind of, that's contempt. I mean, we, those of us who are married, we know we really are, we, we know how to guard ourselves from not rolling our eyes at our spouses, but we can do it with our voices. You know, and, and, but it's that rolling eye kind of, you know, when I think of this person, sometimes it's contempt. And contempt is absolutely opposed to loving one another. If there's even a seed of contempt you have towards someone in the body of Christ, you are not the kind of person who is obeying the command of Jesus to love one another, and therefore you will not be the kind of person who will have the boldness and the freedom and the life to ask him anything that he'll do. So maybe the question has to start with this question. Is there some way in which you're violating the command of Jesus to love one another. All right. Go on to the passage here. So that's question number one for the day. So then Jesus goes on in the same, uh, same evening. He said, I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Again, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to us. Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, 
and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into pile to be burned. Verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, read that next part with me, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. He's kind of obsessed with telling them this. This is the second of four times he tells them, ask for anything you want and I'll do it. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This bring great, brings great glory to my Father. All right. So now he's saying, go to the next slide. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That's just kind of a small variation to ask anything in my name and I'll do it. So Jesus seems to really want them to believe and us to believe that we can ask him for anything and he'll do it. In this case, anything I want. Condition, though, however, again, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So Jesus is not a blanket kind of Santa Claus. In the first part of the passage we looked at, it's if you love me by keeping my commands, primarily to love one another, then you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Now he's saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Now, this bottom passage, he, was, he says, says the passage, remain in me, in the context of this grapevine stuff he's talking about, you know, pruning the vine. Uh, my wife was telling me yesterday, she was reading about pruning vines, and she said, you know, the initial thought a lot of people have is, and I've never pruned a grapevine before in a vineyard, so, is that you kind of come at it with, you know, a big knife and machete things away. But then she read that a, a, a vineyard keeper actually has like a small tool that just kind of snips away at the unfruitful vines to make sure the vine becomes even greater, of a greater fruitfulness. But it's kind of the small snipping. When God wants to do that in my life, it drives me crazy, right? The small snipping. I don't mean God's snippy. I'm not saying that. But when God looks at some of the little things in your life that you think or I think, that's not a big deal. But Jesus says, no, that, that part of your life is not producing fruit. It's not a big deal, but it's going to reduce, it's going to keep a lot of fruit from being produced. And, we, and, and, and we, we want Jesus to kind of focus on the big stuff, not the small stuff. Can I just kind of deal with, there was a time in my life, and I don't know why, I, may, I, well, I do know why, I think God was trying to teach me something. If I would open my car door and nick the car next to me, I felt like incredible guilt. And I would write notes on their windshields. Hey, I nicked your car. You probably won't be able to find it, but I nicked it, and I will pay for the repair if I need to. I'm sure people got it and like, who's this crazy person? But there was a phase, and it sounds weird, and it was weird, because I feel like I was obsessive about it. Um, But I feel like God was trying to teach me through that, pay attention to every little corner of your life that I want to deal with. And so now, of course, I'm really careful opening my car door because I get tired of writing notes, all right? Um, but it was those small, and I, I remember one of my mentors once said, it's the small corners of your life that Jesus uh, is really involved with and he wants to be engaged with. We think of the big ones. Well, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not stealing from the IRS. I'm not doing all this stuff. Yeah, but what about the little ways in which you're being deceitful about your 
money with somebody or the little ways in which you've kind of manipulated some stuff in your favor financially or the little things that you've told your boss or your spouse that really isn't exactly true, but it's a little thing. And this is where Jesus, the vine keeper, comes with this little kind of pruning thing and starts snipping away. And we're like, Jesus, can you leave me alone? I got the big stuff covered. But Jesus would then say, but if you want to be the kind of person who can ask for anything you want and it be granted, you've got to give Jesus the freedom to snip at that stuff. All right. Here's question number two. The second and final question of the morning is this. Is there any area of your life that Jesus wants to prune? And then the follow-up question was, will you ask him? Will you let him? I mean, it's, it, you may think, well, I, can think, I can't think of anything right now. Good, I'm in the clear. What if you were to say to Jesus, Jesus, is there, is there anything, is there any branches hanging off me that are not producing anything that need to be snipped off? It's a question most of us, myself included, would rather leave unasked. Because if you ask Jesus, kind of in the spirit of search me, O God, and know my heart, put yourself under the spotlight, he will likely honor your request and out of his love, he'll show you the things that are keeping you from the maximum kind of fruitfulness and joy that he wants in your life. Is there any area of your life that Jesus wants to front? And again, some of you may think right away of one or two things. Oh yeah, that may be something he wants me to deal with. And it may not even be a sin. It may just be something that God knows is an obstacle to you in your life with him. All right. Are you willing to at least ask Jesus, is there anything that, was, that stands in the way of that? Actually, what, let's do this for a second. Close your eyes just for a second. And uh, let's give 60 seconds for the Holy Spirit to perhaps throw something on the screen of our mental PCs or Macintoshes, whichever, whichever your mental images are going to be controlled by. And uh, let him throw, if there's something in your life that he may be wanting your attention about. Take the next 60 seconds and just listen and watch for what he may say to you. Spirit, if you brought anything to any of our minds, would you keep that in our memory even over the next few days and give us willingness and courage to uh, deal with that with you? Amen. Let's go to the next slide here because here's where we're going to finish. One thing we've said with Exodus, and we will, and is our mission is we feel like God's called us to release life, not just into one another, into our families, but specifically into. Jesus, that was Jesus' mission was to release life. And then Jesus says this incredible thing. If you ask me anything in my name, I'm going to do it. In a couple weeks, I'm going to actually, we're going to ask you to go through an exercise in a couple weeks on Sunday morning where there are going to be specific things I'm going to encourage you to ask Jesus for over an X number of week period of time, specifically related to the Bloomington community. Um, like, for example, I'm going to ask you to think of one person that you think you think is far from God and maybe it's impossible you'd ever see them become a Christian. But I'm going to ask you to pray for that person for six weeks. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. 
I'm going to ask you to pray, pick and pray for one church in town over a six-week period that that church would have, see an increase in conversions in their church. All right? If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. I'm going to ask you to pray for people that are really close to you, family, children, parents, uh, that the Holy Spirit would fill them in greater ways. All right? That's three of the things. But I don't want you to do that now. I want you to take the next couple weeks to ask yourselves the hard questions to make sure that you're the kind of person that can ask Jesus anything and he'll do it. Because if we're those kind of people, the sky's the limit for what Jesus will do if we ask him for things. Because we're going to ask that Jesus begins to do something in Bloomington. Not just in Exodus Church, not just in your life, my life, our finances, your finances. We want to see Jesus change Bloomington. And he's told us if we ask him, he'll do it. So we're going to embark on a journey in a few weeks of asking Jesus to do things that we think are outside of the realm of possibility. Either we just don't think prayer matters or we don't think it matters to Jesus what we care about. But I want you to take the next week, few weeks, to be really receptive to Jesus about how he wants to clear out anything in you that's keeping you from being part of the story in the full kind of way he wants you to be. So you can ask anything according to his story of life, freedom, and joy, and he'll do it. All right? Let me pray. Um, and then we'll take communion.